Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. I am joined today by my good friend and colleague, Caitlin Cooper. Uh, we're going to be doing a new sort of format moving forward with the pod. Um, I have been away for a while with dealing. Uh, you know, I, I had COVID, which kind of sucked, but I'm, I'm back now doing good, ready to, to, to hop back on the pod. Um, Kayla and I are going to be doing two pods a week together moving forward. Uh, so keep out your eyes for that. We're still kind of ironing out how we'll be doing some things. So, of course, send us any questions, comments, feedback, anything you have for us. Caitlin. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm happy to have you back as the main host here and that know that you're feeling well and, and glad and excited to be debuting a new thing. So basically what we're doing, and if you hate it, like Mark said, please let us know. We're going to start debuting for the first episode of the week, a segment called Start, Sub, Sit, which is basically we're going to review the game's weeks and we're each going to pick um, one moment that qualifies for each of those things. So don't think of it like actual you know, rotation, like a player you'd start subsid. Start would be what we loved about the week. Sub would be something that we've identified as, oh, that's kind of interesting or we're cautiously optimistic about. And sit is basically the equivalent of like enough already with that or, you know, something that we'd like to see change. So that's how we're going to look back at the week that was where the Pacers went one and three, but we're like strangely fun again. So um, yeah, I guess. Do you, do you want to start off? Uh, do, do we want, so we're going to go back and forth, start start for each of us and bench for each of us and cut for each of us? Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. Let's start right. with the good. Let's start with the good. Yes, I agree. What is your, uh, what is it, what are you starting for this week? Yeah, so mine is kind of general. Like, that's the other thing of this. It can be very open. Like, it could be on court stuff, off court stuff, or, you know, really nitty gritty. So I felt like there's like a million things this week, even though they had three losses that you could have picked from. Like, Lance scored 20 straight points in the first quarter. The role man actually exists again. There's more offensive variety, which I wrote in a column about. I mean, Kiefer's reaction to James Boyd's question at the Indy Star talking about his mom. That was, oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Really love that. Like seeing Kiefer get this chance. Um, but I think just generally speaking, and this was my takeaway as I watched the Pacers win the game over the Jazz, is that it seems like there's been this unquantifiable thing where because they've had Lance and Kiefer and Dwayne Washington Jr. and Justin Anderson before he entered health and safety protocols and all these guys coming up and they're actually having to fight for their spot in the NBA or, you know, to regain relevance in the NBA again, whether they've been there or not, like this is obviously Kiefer's first time, but it feels like that has carried over to the rest of the roster in a way that we weren't seeing before this, you know, obviously you don't want to have Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert and all these guys in health and safety protocols. That's not something you want to see, but the jazz did not have Rudy Gobert. And yes, that impacted their defense. It's not the same with Hassan Whiteside out there who just quite frankly, wasn't really showing consistent effort last night. But that being said, we've also watched the same Pacer team prior games this season, whether it was in Denver when they didn't have Jokic and Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Or when they've played the Heat twice this year without Jimmy and Bam. And some of this is matchup stuff, but all these teams are playing somewhat smaller without those bigs or whoever's available. And the energy levels just were not there. And like, I don't want to use the cliche that Rick Carlisle likes to use again about disposition, but some of that did show up. Like the one game they played on TNT, it was like once one thing went wrong, everything went wrong and basic defensive coverages they could not execute. And then it just went all downhill into their worst loss of the season. And now they're playing the jazz and it's like, you look different. If you're not showing the same effort as these G league players that are out there, it shows up versus, you know, before, and I'm not trying to say that guys weren't doing their jobs or, you know, whatever, but like the Pacers don't really in their starting lineup have players who are in a contract year or necessarily, you know, were in position to have to battle for their spot in that lineup. And that's even some degree you know, there are some bench battles, but not as much like a lot of it's settled where it doesn't seem like, you know, 
that there, there would be these levels, like what there has been where, you know, if you're not matching what Lance's energy is, you look different, quite frankly. And like, I agree that he has a certain, like, to use an old word that gets way overused, like Lance has a swagger to him that people want to engage in. The crowd gets into it. Then the players feed off the crowd. But I also just think like watching guys fight like that seems like it impacted the overall team. I don't know how you felt, but like that was the thing that I loved most about the week that even though they went through scoring droughts, like the 15 to 0 run to close the third quarter against the Cavs or the scoring struggles they had in the fourth quarter against New York, I never felt like it was a product of, they're not getting into offense or they're not going through things or, you know, they're just idly scrolling through browsing windows on the internet while they're running plays. Like that's at times what it looked like in some of these closing moments. And this week I felt like at the very least the effort was there. Yeah. Um, I think like the, the best way to encapsulate it, I, uh, I, I clipped together all of Lance's um, makes in that first quarter against Brooklyn. Um, like, I don't know, just seeing the the bench react like in some ways to me, because uh, I don't I don't I don't mean to be like the grumpy uncle or whatever, but um, it, it made me like kind of scoff a little bit when I saw the bench like getting excited about a, a 10 day player coming in and, you know, dropping 20 in the first quarter, even though they're a 14 and 25 team. And then I thought about it. I'm like, well, that's that's very indicative of where the team is at and like that they needed somebody who was a 10 day player to come in and inject them with that kind of energy. Like, I feel like that's kind of a microcosm of the season in some ways. Um, but that was cool. Like, I mean, that was awesome seeing that. I felt like there was more energy in these last couple of games than we've seen um, since like the 15 game mark of this season. It feels like, uh, I mean, some of it can be a little much like, you know, Lance defending KD and waving his hands in front of his face playing yeah. Jedi defense. Like it may, like I, it, it makes me laugh for sure, but um, it's just kind of refreshing. Like, I don't know, even though, like, I mean, Kiefer Sykes is not a good defender. He's five. I don't think he's actually five foot ten. That seems generous. Um, but, like, he had a vertical contest, uh, and it was slightly late on a rotation. I think it was against – I want to say it was against Cleveland. Um, or my actually, no, it was against Brooklyn. Um, and he was slightly late on it, but I was like – he actually made that like not to call out certain players on the team, but like there are, there are multiple guys right now who, if somebody's getting beat at the point of attack and there's a wide open drive to the rim, they're not swinging over to make that rotation. Like, uh, I don't know, even, even though the defense hasn't been good, like you mentioned, it's just the energy has been there and that at least gives them some kind of margin for error. Um, and it's just, yeah, the, the, the energy has been very, very, very nice to see. Right. And, and I think like you're talking about the start against Brooklyn and like, mm -hmm. I can be diplomatic about it. And I can see that the Nets switches were not watertight. Like they were, they were going under rather than trading off. And some of that was because they weren't disrespect. They weren't respecting Lance's shot and he made them pay for that and hit the mm -hmm. shots early. And that impacted how they defended him later on. But like, they were getting caught on the high side on switches so many times that made stuff easier for the Pacers. Like I can see that. I can see stuff that Utah did last night. That wasn't great. And be like, you know, I don't want to get too carried away with this and think that like, Oh, okay, who needs those other players or, you know, whatever. But, um, it's what I said. Like, I can also say that there was a very obvious difference between those games and when they played games against depleted opponents earlier this season. So, um, I think that the process was better. And even defensively, like in Kiefer's defense, I agree with you. Like, I'm not going to say he's some lockdown defender, but I mean, it was kind of curious to me to go on a little bit of a side tangent because down the stretch against the jazz, he was guarding Donovan Mitchell, which made me wonder what the thought process was going into that because it kind of made me think, well, then Donovan Mitchell, ISO the smaller player, they won't have to navigate screens and they hopefully will just help off whoever the weakest shooter is and try to, you know, impact him somewhat at the rim. But then as it was, um, Mitchell was calling for screens from like Mike Conley and then getting like either Lance or Dwayne Washington Jr. switched onto him. So I kind of wonder if you would like to have some of those possessions back. Cause it's like, you know, if you were going to hunt a, hunt a match up, I don't really know why he wasn't like routinely calling Sabonis up to, to go against him. And also Ari, why he wasn't just trying to isolate Kiefer when Kiefer was his primary assignment. But like, 
Kiefer was trying to face guard him. He was trying to deny him the ball. I mean, even against New York, I, I believe it was the start of the third quarter. Like the Knicks were really going at him. Like Alec Burks was trying to post him. They were trying to take advantage of his lack of size, which was causing quite a bit of assembly on the Pacers part where they were having to like switch, 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 or try to scram him out of some different stuff. But like, he seemed aware of his own limitations. Like he seemed like he knew like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to handle this with Taj Gibson. So I need to be looking for my way out and getting somebody over here, you know, whatever it was going to be. So I think that it kind of reminds me a little bit like, and not that they're the same caliber player, but you know, before Kemba had all the knee issues, like, yeah, yeah, it, it was, it was harmful to the defense at times when Kemba was out there because of all the extra stuff you have to do to protect against the size disadvantage. But he was he was usually giving effort. Like I yeah, felt like he Kiefer was, was giving effort and, to make sure that he's and, not being a negative. Right, and like you said, when he rotates over, like if he's gonna do that, and like not to just randomly call out a name, but there has been times over the last two years where Jeremy Lamb has appeared like he's allergic to weak side defense. Like let's just be honest. Yeah. Like there was a possession in that game that I'm talking about against TN on TNT when they played the Heat, where. uh Duarte tried to shoot the gap against Duncan Robinson and then Duncan Robinson rejected and Sabonis had to switch onto Robinson. Duarte did not run the seam on the roll and Jeremy Lamb was just like, oh, Dwayne Dedman just rolled and got a dunk. Like he wasn't two nining ahead of it. Like he didn't rotate over. But if you don't do that when Kiefer Sykes and Dwayne Washington Jr. are doing it, then it shows up quite a bit that like, hey, you know, you're not doing something. So it felt like the energy overall picked up like sometimes it's misplaced effort where you know sometimes you know you might I don't want to call it gambling but you might not quite know the overall scheme yet because these guys are new and they're coming in and and stuff didn't always shake out the way that it needed to I think that for the week they were probably like a bottom 10 bottom five defense when I looked at it so um, the numbers weren't great and they had they definitely had some breakdowns but um, overall I just think that it was a lot more watchable I guess is how I would term it I would, so, I'm not going to fight you on that one. It was a hell of a lot more watchable than anything in the, in the weeks prior. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. So we can go to your start. What do you have as your start? Uh, my start is the Lance Domas pick and roll. Um, God, that was, uh, it was, you know, when I've never hidden my disdain for Lance Stevenson, we've talked about it before. <laughs> we don't have to rehash it. Um, I've been very open about it. And I think I have good reason for it. Um, but just in terms of actual on court and what he's done, like I was talking about this with somebody today. And I mean, you can legitimately like make the case like off these, these couple games that Lance has played. Um, he's been one of like the five best offensive players on the team, even if it's like fully healthy. Like I think he's had a better stretch in the last two games than, than Karras has had as a playmaker most of the year. And it's easy to say like, okay, well, yeah, he just had a career high 14 assist game, but like, He's just doing the simple shit that they need their ball handlers to do throughout the game. Like, I mean, they literally just picked apart Brooklyn and Utah by playing pick and roll, drawing two to the ball, whether it was Domas getting get, uh, drawing two to the ball on, a, you know, going four out one in or, or just working from the outside in or from Lance running pick and roll with Domas, getting him the ball on a pocket pass or, you know, Lance getting uh, like one of the full set of full head of steam uh, drives to the rim using his shoulder and forearm a little bit. Like he definitely should have gotten called for some offensive fouls for being honest, but like, he's just finding shovel passes, like doing really basic stuff. Like he's generating more rim pressure than anybody on the team other than Malcolm Brogdon. And I think he's almost been more comfortable as a scorer in, in pick and roll than, than Malcolm looked earlier this year. Part of that's with like, you know, just variants of his jumper actually going in, but um and, and just seeing, not even just Domas, like it, Domas and Mal, and uh, and Miles being found, like when they have openings, like immediately, like it's not even, uh, it's not just a every once in a while thing, like routinely. I mean, that's why they beat up on Utah because Utah was just constantly being put in rotation because they kept making the pass that was wide open, and it was, I was like, where has this been the entire year? So it was, uh, it was kind of awesome to see. Um, like Lance's numbers have been kind of insane is the wrong way to put it, but like, I mean, 55% from the field, 31% from three, but 14, 14.6 assists per game. It's been good. And, and I mean, Domas has been, it just, just seeing him a get to be used as an actual role man and do things off the short roll and, 
and force the defense to collapse like he's been he's been capable of for years um and also get to work more with just more touches on the interior has been awesome like his week has been nuts and I know a lot of people will say well they were one and three and I say okay well they were starting Kiefer Sykes and Dwayne Washington Jr. who neither of them were on the game day roster to start the year so I you know I can't really take too much from these four games either but um I mean it, it just it, it was really fun to watch some of the things that we've known are possible actually happen again, if that makes sense. Oh, it hundred percent does. I mean, the one thing that I'll say, like I, I had some Lance hot takes in my head last night that I'm too afraid to say. On this oh podcast. yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm too afraid to say them. I, I, I'll have to hold them for a later date. I need to see a little bit more, but um, anyways, like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. That's why I wanted to write the article earlier this week, because simplification is a good way to put it. Like he is pretty unpredictable, which like what Rick Carlisle said after the game, loosened some stuff up for people. But at the same time, he was making the easy read. Like he was letting the offense do the work for him, but also he has a good, and this goes back to the last time he was here as well. He doesn't just see what his defender and Sabonis's defender are doing. He sees what the other off-ball defenders are doing as well. So like when I wrote that article, I wanted to show the clip that like, Karis so much of the time wants to go against the grain. He has this herky jerky game and it can be very disorienting. I imagine that it's, it can be hard for people to defend because you're not exactly sure which way he's going to go. But, and like I've said on prior podcasts, there's value in rejecting screens. When, when you don't send the defender downhill and you go against it, that you're not, the help is going to be out of position. I understand that, but there's times like just to quote the two possessions that I have in there down the stretch against the bulls, he sees that Vucevic is up at the level. His defender had gone under. Sabonis rescreens it, and it's like, oh, well, so Vucevic is up at the level. He's not going to be there in, in the help, but he doesn't see that the other two defenders, it's like, oh, on the weak side, that's Torrey Craig, and that's, you know, I don't even remember who the other person is, but they're probably not going to stay attached to those two guys, and then I'm just going to be drawing, driving into a crowd, and I haven't created separation for Sabonis to roll, and then he just drives into DeMar DeRozan because DeMar DeRozan helps off Torrey Craig. Now, in the reverse, like against Brooklyn, Lance saw that same coverage until, you know, he had hit enough shots that they started going over, but Lance is seeing, okay, Kyrie Irving's in the weak side corner. If I use this rescreen, there's no way he can tag Sabonis at the rim. There's nothing he can do. Just make the easy play and throw the pocket pass. Like sometimes just, just let what the coaching staff has put out there, just use it. Like, and, and I think that that's kind of been my biggest takeaway from Lance. I think that there have been some spots like they've gone one, four flat at the end, like two quarters last night was a little bit iffy with Lance where he didn't wait long enough. Like they wanted to use consecutive go screens and he went before they had set them. And then that got a little bit out of sync and he probably it's gotten a little bit sticky in isolation in a few spots, but given all of the positives he can do, I can't even really, or that he has done in the last two games. I can't even really nitpick that. And, you know, it's possible like the last time I do think that some of the magic carpet ride eventually, you know, unraveled a bit, like after the team with Jeff Teague and Paul George had kind of gotten, an energy lift. By the time they had got to the playoffs, you could see some of the stuff that Lance was doing and how the Cavs guarded him. It was like, okay. And then, you know, when he had to play with Corey Joseph the next year, that was kind of an awkward pairing. But right now, like, it just makes more sense because it's not like when the last time they thought about bringing him back ahead of the bubble, TJ McConnell was healthy and playing. It never made a lot of sense to me be like, oh, play TJ McConnell and Lance together. But, you know, TJ McConnell is going to be out for who knows how long. He can run units. And Kiefer's been pretty decent playing off ball, I think, in spots, not just because he can hit threes, but because he moves without the ball pretty well. He sets screens in a way that I didn't really anticipate seeing. So they, in addition to Dwayne Washington, can kind of play off of each other nicely. So I don't really have a need to to nitpick Lance to this point in time. I mean, I do agree with you. I mean, I think what we did talk about on the last pod that like, given what they were getting out of Brad Wanamaker and I'm not trying to be rude, it just is what it is. They just, we're not going to get this type of playmaking from, from him that they're going to get from Lance now. And, and in some respects, in terms of pick and roll, they weren't necessarily getting that type of playmaking from TJ McConnell either. Like as good as TJ is at probing and finding guys, he's not necessarily a pick and roll guy, except, except for like dribbling off of it and pulling up into his little mid range shot because defenders do go under and he doesn't have the same strength and power that Lance does in some of those situations. So um, I'm with you. I've, I've thus far enjoyed the Lance Stevenson experience. Um, his chemistry with Sabonis has been very good. And I've enjoyed just seeing them like 
all season. This feels like the first time this last week, which was the other segment of that article that like Sabonis is also getting to do a ton on ball. Like this is the most I've ever, like there's been times in the past where we've seen point Sabonis and Nate McMillan, let him bring the ball up the floor. Nate Bjorkren, let him bring it up quite a bit last year, but it was always to go to the left side of the floor and immediately into like a quick dribble handoff three for Doug McDermott, which has its value, but you weren't seeing him, you know, use a left to right cross and then dish off of his right at all, which I've seen. And you weren't seeing him get these elbow screens like he's been getting. I mean, there was times last night in that game where he literally created his own shot. He got it off a pick and roll, you know, rejected to go away and then did a spin move into a post up and scored. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty hard to also downplay what Sabonis did over those last four games. And yeah, I'm with you. I agree that they lost some of them, but other than the fact that he missed free throws against the Knicks, he could have been stronger in that area. And he probably had a couple turnovers against the Cavs that he probably would want back. I don't think you could have asked much more for him from him. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, like, especially just looking at yesterday, I mean, uh, obviously missing Rudy Gobert hurts like that, that definitely lessens the, the strength of the win, but that's a good win yesterday. Like, I mean, they beat a solid team, like not just a solid team. Like, obviously, they're very different without Rudy, but still like that. I do think some of some of the takes have been a little bit reductive in, in regards to what what they have or haven't done. But um, yes, I'm right there with you. Like seeing the first time, like watching yesterday against Utah, um, I think it was like within like the first two or three minutes, like uh, Domas is bringing the ball up in transition and Dwayne comes and sets that elbow screen off of, you know, what looks like it's going to be like a fly off into a into a DHO. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is happening now. Like seeing that stuff, like, I don't know. It's just like, like you mentioned, it's just nice to see some of this stuff happening. And it, it, it's been a real, it's not just like, obviously 30 points per game on 79% true shooting is definitely a hot streak, but like Domas is just doing really cool stuff. So it's hard yeah. to, hard, hard I mean, to at the very least, at the very least, having more offensive variety is always a good thing. I mean, I'm not yes. saying you should be doing that all the time, but when you can give teams different looks and put them in positions, that's part of the reason why James Harden got on the high side of him a couple of times, because he was initially the ball handler. They'd give it to the shake. That guy would rotate up and then he was the screener. And then because they had to switch so many times, they'd be out of position. And then Sabonis was rolling. And then just to, just to comprehend that, like, I mean, there was one possession, I believe that I clipped against the Cavs where they literally jumped out and hedged against Sabonis as the ball handler. And then he was the screener on the same possession. Like there's not a lot of people with enough skills that could do all of those things at once. So um, yeah, really good week from him, but I'll transition into my sub, which you know, I had to get a little bit uh, extra here. This is a very me pick, but um, I, I do not remember. I apologize, Pacers, if you've done this before, but I did not remember seeing it and I was going to write about it. And then somebody on Twitter asked me, like, have you seen the Pacers do this before? And I was like, oh, crap. Now somebody's pointed it out. But um, hedge and switching against the Brooklyn Nets. Very intriguing to me. So basically, if I can describe this to people who are who are listening, the Pacers in general this year, as I'm sure most people who listen to this pod know, have Sabonis will step out on a screen above the level and either soft hedge or hard hedge because they're trying to not send as much action to the rim, especially when he's at solo five, but he'll also do that some at the four. They don't do this as much with Miles because they want to keep him back or have him at the level or in a more aggressive drop so that he can still be back protecting the rim because he's obviously, you know, does deters a lot there so they don't have as much need to have him be up at the level, but against the nets, they wanted him up. So both of the bigs were, were hedging for most of that game. If Kyrie Irving or James Harden were the pick and roll ball handler. So the very first possession of the game, miles steps out to hard hedge. And that means that the roller is going to be open momentarily in the lane, which then requires you to have help, which is typically the low man until miles as the screeners defender can get back in the picture. And then you kind of, push from the, the weak side to the strong side in terms of the defense. What the Pacers did in this game, though, was Sabonis, what, no matter which side of the floor he was on, would fully switch onto the roller, and then Miles would sprint to the perimeter and take on whoever was there and shift everybody down. I have not seen a lot of teams do that. That was kind of an interesting look for me, especially because it can be hard to hedge with two bigs on the floor because you have to cover so much ground, especially against a Nets team. And what I noticed is they were mostly doing it if it was an empty corner pick and roll, which means there wouldn't be a tagger over there. So in most of those situations, like this wasn't an actual possession, but if people can imagine it, like if Kevin Durant is the screener 
and you're basically playing two man game and there's three players on the opposite side, the, the big would rotate over to help when that screener goes into the paint. That's who you want because they're going to have size. So if it's Sabonis, he would come over when Kevin Durant, you know, comes out of the screen and rotate. And then Miles would rotate back to Kevin and, and Sabonis would shift back. That's how most teams would operate in that situation. It would be a big to big switch and you'd shift everybody back. But in this case, Sabonis would come all the way over and Miles would, would run to whether that was Kyrie Irving or whoever, and then those other players would shift down. And the other benefit of that was when you're playing like what we were talking about earlier, when you're playing somebody smaller or these smaller lineups that have had Kiefer and Lance and, and Dwayne Washington all at the same time, and you're having to cover shooters like a LaMarcus Aldridge or a Durant who can shoot over the top of everybody or certainly like Claxton also rolling hard to the rim, you're not giving up size because it didn't matter if it was the single or the two side, Sabonis was going or Miles was going in the reverse if Sabonis was the person up top hedging. So I didn't really notice them doing that against the Jazz again. I'd have to comb back over the possessions, but that's definitely something that I'm going to keep in mind and watch because their defense has been struggling of late, and I just like watching like little different wrinkles that teams will try out and tinker with and see if they can get more out of that because in the game with against the Knicks when Sabonis was having to chase out of those situations, it seemed like Randall was getting loose and making some kickouts because he's as good of a release valve as what he is. So it kind of made me wonder if because of what happened against the Knicks, they wanted to try that out in Brooklyn and see if they could get away with doing some of the switches. And it felt like it was new to me because there was times where you could see like Sabonis looking over to, it was Ronald Norred. And then obviously Lloyd Pierce was back last night and asking like, do you want us to switch that in that situation? If it's going to lead to this type of a matchup. So that's just a little nugget that people can watch for, and we can all watch it together and see how it plays out. Cause I just like it when teams innovate and try different stuff. We're going to have to see them innovate because the defense has been absolutely yes. terrible. So <laughs> yes, we'll be looking for it. Um, no, that was something that stuck out to me as well. Um, and it, like you mentioned, it's interesting. Like I, I it, it didn't necessarily look bad. Um, especially comparing, you know, where everything else is, there's, there's a lot to take away from it and, and look for moving forward. So I agree. Um, more on hedging later, because that is, that is part of something I want to talk about. If you're ready to move on, I have my, uh, my bench. Yes. Let's that, hear your bench. That I really it. enjoyed is something that you, you hit on a little bit earlier and that's just been Kiefer as an off ball player. Um, like I've been so impressed with Kiefer just in general as a player. Um, like obviously he had a very rough start in his first two games, if I remember correctly, um, don't have the numbers up right in front of me, but he's just been, he's been a very solid NBA player since then, since then his, in his four starts, he's just looked good. And more importantly to me, it's just his awareness. Like you mentioned, I think, um, you know, in terms of talking about like making sure like, like, like talking about like Kemba, um, he is so aware of himself in a good way. Like he's uh, like he, he really has started to bud a little bit as in, in his two man game and chemistry with Domas, like just kind of playing off of him, doing a lot of, OK, giving goes with the ball or, you know, pass the ball off the Domas, readjust or, or do a quick cut. Like um, he had a he had a really nice putback dunk yesterday against the Jazz. Yes. Which I, I think it's almost unfair to call it a dunk, but like it was a putback. But just off a really nice 45 cut, it was like I was like, wow, I feel like I'm watching TJ McConnell play basketball. Um, it just was it, it's been very cool to see him. And like you mentioned, too, like with, with the screening, just seeing him be an active, engaged part of the offense without really having to necessarily have the ball in his hands has made him useful because he's like he's a solid shooter, but he needs time and space to get a shot off because he's so small. Like it's if he gets contested at all. He has to check out of it. So he has to work really hard to get his shots. Um, I've just really enjoyed watching him operate and and function in the offense and and, and kind of play off of Domas. Like it's been uh it's been very fun for me. And it just not to not to go on my soapbox, but it just makes me question too. Like I get so frustrated every time things get brought up. Like I literally just posted Domas's stats from the last four games today. Mm-hmm. And somebody's like, Oh, well, you can't build a team around Domas, so you should trade him. I'm like, first of all. Absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Second yeah. of all, this team's not built around him, and it's just cool seeing people play off of one another. Like, I don't know. It, it, it Positions are meaningless, or it's not even that it's meaningless, but, like, just have good basketball players playing together. And, yeah, long, long story short, I've really enjoyed the Kiefer Sykes experience uh, lately, even if 
obviously he's stretched a little thin uh, as a starting point guard in the NBA, but uh, it does make me wonder why he wasn't just signed outright to begin the year instead of Brad Wanamaker, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think that I remember you and I did a podcast briefly about Kiefer during Summer League, I think, Mm -hmm. or right, maybe recapping Summer League. Yeah. And then that was whenever Dejon had been signed to the two-way contract, and we were just kind of talking about both of them back and forth. And, you know, both of us thought positively of Kiefer in Summer League, as I recall. And then when he came into preseason, I, I believe he had the ankle injury, so he missed a little bit of time. And then when he played in that preseason finale, it felt similar to his first game in this little stretch where it was like he just seemed overwhelmed by the moment a bit. Like I knew, like clear back in preseason, it was like, oh man, like, you know, I don't know how to nicely put it, but it was like, I, he's a better player than what he just showed. Yeah. And I understood why the Pacers made the decision that they did in the moment because it was like, okay, if, if that's how he's going to come out and perform and he's going to be giving up size, you know, you need somebody in that backup spot that if TJ gets hurt can, can come in and serviceably do something. So I kind of understood why they leaned the way that they did. And then when he came back, it was like, Oh no, it's happening again. And I like, we knew he could perform better than that because, and obviously summer league's a different thing, but just the types of reads he was making and some of what we were seeing, I was like, you know, he can be a better player. And then he, it, it looked like he eased in like by the time, obviously, when they went to the Knicks and he scored the points in the first quarter, it just felt like, okay, now he's over the hump and and he can just play. And what you're saying with Sabonis is absolutely true. Like the one possession, I clipped all those because I was like an underrated aspect of Kiefer is that he moves without the ball because a lot of times people will talk about it and be like, oh, Sabonis got pushed off the block or, oh, he's, he's, he's taking too long to make a decision. I think that's too simplistic of a look at it because sometimes like this applies to other teams. Sometimes you're not getting pushed off the block. You're catching it there purposefully because you want to run action for cutters to get the ball. And that's going to open up lanes. And there's at times where Sabonis deliberately does that. And he's waiting like what you would have seen with Doug McDermott last year. He's waiting for that off ball cutter to set up his man and get back to the basket. He's, he's looking over his shoulder, like, come on, come on. Because his, his nature very much is one where like last night it didn't show because obviously the way Utah was defending, it just made sense to keep running pick and roll with, with him and, and him getting the 22 shots that he got. He's a pass first nature player. So he's going to look for where those opportunities are. And Kiefer did that the one time and he like smacked him on the butt and was like, finally, like you could tell the reaction was like, somebody did it. And he's done that in, in almost every game where he's tried to make that little cut off the post entry pass or, or when he's he's running around. So, um, yeah, all that's been good to see. I've enjoyed the key for experience. And I've also experienced what you said, that like the initial reactions about the Sabonis stats are, well, he can't be a number one option. And my question to that is still what it's always been. Who's who's arguing that? And two, why does he have to be like if you're trying to build a good team, that's still a player that I would want out there because of all of the things that we've seen this week. I think he has improved each of the last two years and he's making $18 million a year. Like that's not what a top option gets paid. So that's getting somewhat old with me, but I don't know where you are with that particular argument, but no, we're in the same boat. He's, he's a good player. And I think that's really, sometimes we just lose the forest through the trees with that because the team isn't good right now. Like, it there's a lot more there. I think our for anybody who has more questions about that, our podcast we did with Dave not that long ago, I think was a great evaluation of that and where we're at with him and like having good basketball players when you're trying to be a good basketball team, probably a good thing. So I would I would I would contemplate keeping around uh, the modest bonus, but you know, that's just me. Oh, one um, other tiny thing that I didn't yeah. bring up that has nothing to do with any of those players is Duarte coming back last night. Obviously his numbers and he, he wasn't in the closing lineup. He's obviously mm-hmm. doing reconditioning and stuff, but this was like kind of also a side benefit of what some of the rotation is shaken out. Like when you can have Lance running more pick and roll with bench units, there was like three possessions where it was like, Hey, Duarte is getting to settle into what he more naturally would be accustomed to do where he's like getting to get pin downs into handoffs from the left corner. Or I, I can probably count on one hand, the amount of times where they've run like the veer action for Duarte to actually fly off a screen and shoot from the left corner. And they did that last night where typically Justin carries almost like that entire load. And it was like, because they have these other people who can actually do some handling, it makes me wonder if we'll get to see more of um, off ball Duarte and see how he can um, maybe 
shift some gravity out on the perimeter if he gets to do a little bit more off of screens and off of handoffs and like what we've talked about in the past. But um, since we did get to see a little bit of him last night, I wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, definitely. I agree. The shots didn't really fall for him, but he just right. looked more comfortable. Like not, not asking him to run your entire second unit, a good idea. Um, it, it helps to have other playmakers. So what are, what are you benching for this week? Right. So I preface what I'm about to say, cause I, I picked two things and depending upon what you were going to pick, I could have picked the other one, but um, I do not want every Pacer game to be a nightly trade referendum. And that is not what angle I'm coming at this from at all. But Miles had a bit of a weird week. And I don't know where exactly you landed on that, but like, obviously he does the interview with the athletic where he says, you know, I'm, it's clear that I'm only a glorified role player here. And it's like this past week, you know, Brogdon not playing, Duarte not playing for most of the week, Karis LeVert not playing, like guys who would be higher usage, who would be getting shots weren't out there. And if I can pull up the number, and, and it's not even that this matters to me. It's just that, like, if you're going to do the interview, then it kind of stands out a little bit more. Where over the last four games, Miles averaged 22 front court touches. And there was a moment against the Cleveland Cavaliers where they were running their, their normal Iverson set, where Dwayne Washington comes across the two elbow picks with Sabonis and Turner. And then gets the ball off the Iverson and, and is running pick and roll with miles. And typically in miles's defense, that is a boomerang set where that's like a dummy pick. It's for Dwayne Washington to fire it back to Kiefer on the other side and play pick and roll. Well, in this particular instance, Lamar Stevens switches that pick and is on miles and miles actually points for Dwayne Washington jr. To throw it back to Kiefer so that Kiefer will run pick and roll with Sabonis. And that kind of feels like, a bit of an encapsulation of where I fall with some of like the miles Turner stuff. It's like, I don't need him to take a bunch of shots. I think that he does enough other when he's engaged defensively adds enough value that it's fine. And he's been a high efficiency, low usage player, but it's, it seems pretty clear to me that he wants to do more than what he's, whatever he perceives his current role to be. And then you're there and you have this opportunity to do it, but he's very clearly like somebody who, you know, this is the play we're going to run the play and doesn't necessarily notice where his own opportunities outside of that offense are. And that happened another possession in that same game where Jared Allen switched down out onto Lance. He had Dean Wade and he just stood behind Dean Wade until he exited out to the corner. And it's like, it goes back to, you know, you're not always being told to be in the corner. Sometimes you're putting yourself there. And I felt, I don't know what you'll end up saying, but I felt that in some of those games, I did think his defense had some really nice moments against Utah last night, but against Cleveland, against New York, it felt like they even needed more out of him on that end. And it, I, I, it just felt like somewhat his, his offensive role was impacting his energy level on defense. And then as much as we don't want to talk about it, I feel like we kind of do that. Like this is a different circumstance when you're watching them close a game against the Brooklyn nets and it's Lance and Kiefer and Dwayne Washington and Sabonis and O'Shea. And then they're closing a game against the Utah jazz and it's Lance and Kiefer and Dwayne Washington and Justin and Sabonis. Like it just feels a little bit different when it's not like, you know, let's pretend that everyone was healthy and it's Brogdon and Lavert and TJ Warren and uh, Duarte or whoever I didn't just say. Like, if, if it's four normal starters and you're doing it because you want to downsize, but it's like the Jazz were also a depleted team. You could have stayed double big if you wanted to and try to leverage some of that. But then there was even awkwardness at the start of the second quarter when it felt like every possession was like, playing four out with miles trying to post somebody. And like, again, like I know that that possession earlier that I described against Cleveland probably would have been a quick swim move and a, and a duck in for him. And it's not that I necessarily need him to do it, but if you're going to talk about it and not getting touches, and then you are just trying to do it every possession against Utah, where it's like they were just hunting mismatches and not really getting a lot out of it. I don't know. I just felt like his whole week was very strange. Yeah, no, he did have a weird, have a weird week. Um, I thought, you know, like you mentioned, the Cleveland game was one of his worst defensive games in a while. Um, part of it was stuff too, like Evan Mobley just uh, 
he gave Evan Mobley trouble as the game went on, but in that 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 first half, I mean, Evan Mobley washed the floor with Miles. To be honest, like just took him one on one off the bounce probably six or seven times in that first half and got the better of him, which we're just not accustomed to seeing with him. He hasn't been as good on the perimeter. I think part of it we've talked about it off air. It seems like he's trying to bait guys into driving so he can he can you know get the get uh, you know take them from uh, take them in recovery. Like, cause he is, I mean, he's incredibly long. He has good recovery skills, but it does seem like he's kind of playing outside of his base a little bit more. Um, I don't know what to make of it entirely, but I agree. I think like you mentioned too, like it, it just feels like, like one of my immediate notes early on in the, in the game was like miles Turner clear out question mark. Like it, I think it ended up going in. It was a, a hook shot on Bojan within like the first two minutes. And, and I mean, to, to, to be fair, they did have Bojan on him for most of the game. So there are some mismatches there to a degree, but especially when Utah went small, he really was starting to struggle a little bit with being out there and impacting the game on both ends. Um, just because he was, they had him on Royce O'Neal defensively to sag off most of the time, but Royce was hitting all of his shots yesterday. Um, and Miles just really wasn't able to get anything going offensively. But like you mentioned too, like part of that is just, it felt like I, I and not, neither of us are trying to say that he's hijacking the offense or anything no. like that, but he's not, it just does not, it, it feels kind of like gears that are not grinding together in, in terms of watching him play on the offense the last couple of games. So I'm a, I definitely agree with you there. Um, well, because the weird thing to me is, is like there were games last year, like I vividly remember, which I didn't fully agree with this take, but I'll just, repeat it because it was prevalent they went and played that game in san antonio where i believe sabonis and brogdon and maybe somebody else might have been out and and the spurs really struggled to guard tj mcconnell in that game but they were pretty much playing five out the entire game and afterwards it was like oh well that everybody got to the rim because nobody was posting up and nobody was clogging the lane and you couldn't play drop even though Jakob purtle was in a drop the whole game but like side point like that was always the thing. Like that was what was made. That was the option that you had when you played miles Turner and he had minutes at the five was that you could play five out and everybody could drive to the basket. If that's a different look that you wanted, because there's, there's a difference in taking time to post up Sabonis and posting up miles because there's more F there's, there's more outcomes that you can get out of it. But also like, as we saw this week against Cleveland and Brooklyn, like they're going to send multiple people to the ball. A lot of times when Sabonis catches it, I looked at what the hard double numbers were for the year and I don't have it in front of me, but I think miles has been like hard doubled maybe two or three times. Like you can count it on one hand and Sabonis, like there's only like four people who four or five who've been hard doubled more than he has. So you're, you're shifting the defense. And last night it kind of felt like, you know, the jazz aren't always going to send an extra defender there. They did a couple times, and one of them led to a turnover. And one of them, I do think miles passed it back out to the post passer, which was the correct read, but like you're kind of, it just kind of feels like at that point, you're just doing it to do it. Like, I'm not really sure that like, yes, Bogdanovich is guarding him, but there are also ways that miles could attack that mismatch yeah. through, through the actual flow of the existing offense. Like what I described earlier, whenever I was talking about Lance and Sabonis and the pick and roll, you can attack that mismatch because, Oh, you know, Kyrie Irving's in the weak side corner. There's no way he can tag Sabonis. Like, I, I don't know that it needed to slow down to that extent. And if it was going to, it just, I mean, even that possession against the Brooklyn Nets, like where I just said, like three people were guarding Sabonis in the post. He had a wide open 45 cut. And he stood at the three-point line the whole time. And then you could see Sabonis telling him, like, hey, that could have been a dunk. And it just feels like, you know, that was stuff that we saw last year. Like, he was readily finding those 45 angles. I mean, even early this year. And it just felt like something was out of sync for him this week. Like, yeah. I, I don't exactly know what it was, but hopefully he can get on track in the coming games. And, again, I'm not, I'm not at all trying to turn this into a trade referendum. I'm not advocating for that stuff. I'm really over that conversation. I'm just – kind of trying to understand what exactly like um role I, again because when you talked about the difference between both of them the difference was always if, if you play him theoretically at the five that he can be in the stretch role and and the different things that you can get from that by opening the floor up but now it feels like when he's out there at solo five he's, he's just trying to do the sabonis stuff like i i don't know yeah, 
No, it's very weird. I don't, I don't entirely know what to make of it either. Um, and I think like you're mentioning too, a lot of it's just, I'm, uh, I, in spite of this kind of uh nice week, despite going one and three, like I'm just ready for trades to happen. Like, so that, so that we can, can get it out of the way because it's still just, it, it feels like it's looming over the team still just in all honesty. Yeah. I mean, it feels like there's week. a degree of awkwardness there. I mean, um, and I will say that like, that was another thing that the jazz were doing. Like that kind of says a lot, like there was times where, you know, people will wonder like, you know, why, does Sabonis get the ball on the roll and Miles doesn't because they were trying to run some pick and roll. Well, there were times like on one possession where he turned out of the roll with his back to the ball, which was odd. And then there was other ones where the jazz were just automatically, it was just an automatic switch. Like Mike Conley just going to veer onto miles on the roll, which wasn't really happening with when Lance and Sabonis were running it. So that's going to open up different possibilities, but um, sometimes just the way that they get covered says a lot, but yeah. I mean, I'm I'm clearly not in a position of control and I'm not going to tell the team what they should or shouldn't do, but it just feels like at a certain point, something has to give there because, I mean, even like I said, they didn't win all these games. They've lost three, but it's different when you're not in a closing lineup when it's multiple guys who have been starters in, in the NBA versus when it's three guys, one of which is on a two-way contract, one of which just now had his contract guaranteed, and another who's been on a 10-day deal. Like, that just feels a little bit I, – I, I, I don't know. Maybe Miles was perfectly fine with it and completely understood it. And I'm not saying that Rick Carlisle made the right or wrong decision. I understand why he made the tactical adjustments that he did. It's just what we've always been saying. If you can't close games with both of them, then at a certain point in time, it's it's time to move on and make yeah. whatever decision you're going to make. What, however you view the team, then it's time to make it. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, definitely no no uh, no fight for me on that one. So, uh, all right. I guess this, is it my turn to, yes, to talk about it's, who I'm it's cutting? Your yes. turn what to am I cutting this week? Uh, I am cutting the discourse about hedging that has been in my replies for some reason. I feel like any time, like I've been tagged in multiple things about why are the Pacers hedging so much? Why would they do this? So like, have I. This yes. is about Domas like not being able to play defense. I'm like, well, let's just look at who's playing defense at the point of attack. Like that's that's enough. Like I'm just like I, I, I'm not trying to sound like grumpy and like oh well, watch the games. It's it's not that simple. Like obviously you have to you know dive into more I, I definitely have asked questions like that before I got a better understanding of the basketball on the team but like I just they're doing it for a reason I think sometimes it is frustrating like like there are times like they, they don't do it nearly as much with miles obviously but um like it just doesn't work all the time but it's not because of the bigs like yes sometimes um it can be frustrating to watch uh you know, Domas get beat getting back to his man. It's not even him. It's just like the pass gets there quickly. Like that happened against Utah a couple of times, but then he also had the nice recovery recovery block on Hassan Whiteside. But like a lot of it's just, I feel like a lot of the, uh, the discourse always goes into, oh, well, this is because Domas or, or Miles can or can't play defense. I'm like, no, it's because the guys in front of them can't play defense. That's why they're playing like this. Like, it just it, it can be very frustrating. It always tends to be some kind of uh, I don't referendum on guys. I think I understand anything about that conversation and not because of the way that you presented it. Like, for instance, they played the Chicago Bulls when they were in Chicago, and Levine and DeRozan were walking into mid-range shots when they were trying to go with an aggressive drop or a drop, no matter which big was defending. So when they came out of halftime, they decided we need to be more aggressive with this. And like right off the top, Duarte got a deflection and a steal, and then the coverage was better. Like at the very least, it forced DeRozan and Levine to have to give the ball up at times. And then in the second game against Chicago, I thought they did a pretty good job because O'Shea started guarding Vucevic, and they switched everything. That way O'Shea could switch out to the ball and Torrey Craig could switch out to the ball and they did some pre-switching. And then if Sabonis did get called, they did hedge it. But I don't, I really don't want to be rude, but like last night on some of them, when the roll man got loose, that's not on miles or Sabonis and that type yeah. of a situation. It's not on them to get back into the picture on a hedge like that. Like, and 
go back and watch the games from last year. Sabonis is so much better at hedging this year than he was last year. Like the way he presents and will stay attached to the screener and then take one or two steps out, depending upon how aggressive that they've decided they want to be that night. And the way that he's gotten back into the picture on some of those has been considerably better. Now, some of the Randall stuff wasn't great, but that's more about how you're rotating after how those kickouts happen. Um, and where you're going to chase out. And I thought that like what I said earlier about the Nets little like big to big switch on how that they're, we're sending miles out, but like, they're not just doing that because of Sabonis against, against the bulls. They were hedging with miles against the Nets. They were hedging with miles from the tip because they knew that they didn't have point of attack defenders to stay with Kyrie and James Harden. And they didn't want him getting into the paint and putting people in rotation. I think that the bigger thing that people need to point the finger at, if they don't like that, they're doing it or how they're doing it is they either need to get better point of attack defenders, or it might be helpful. Like, I mean, Minnesota has been using the scheme for most of the season and they've been a very good defensive team with Jada McDaniels and Vanderbilt as they're really mobile fours that are able to, to execute it. Um, they might need some more guys like that, but I don't, I think that they are hedging more in general and have been with Sabonis from the get go. Cause you don't want to do as much at the rim, just like, you know, what the nuggets have done in the past with Jokic and prior seasons and what, Chris Finch is attempting to do with Carl Anthony Towns now, but like to just point the finger and be like, Oh, well, they didn't get back in the picture. Nobody is the, that you have to, you have to have somebody come and tag. There is no big, like you'd have to make a spectacular play. And even when Sabonis did get that chase down block, it was in part because Dwayne Washington stunted at Hassan Whiteside to slow him down a bit on the roll. So Sabonis could get back in the picture. There's nobody who's covering both of those things at once. So I don't really understand that argument. That makes two of us. Um, so what are you cutting this week? Oh, I, mine was already the, the play that miles had against Cleveland and how I, don't Oh my gosh, understand. I got way too behind on myself. All right. Well, yeah. I didn't, I didn't even realize you were my there. other one. Like if we can just toss one out yeah, there, I, because this was, I didn't know where you were going to pick, but the other one that I was going to pick that is my slight pet peeve. They were playing the Knicks and I think they were down 95, 90. They took a timeout and came out of the timeout. And at that point in time, I believe they were nine of 37 from three and they were in the bonus for like what the last four and a half, five. I mean, they were in the bonus when this occurred and they ran a play specifically for Dwayne Washington, who was one of six at the time to shoot a three out of veer. So out of a ball screen into a pin down. And I just, I, sometimes that's like really head scratching, which the Knicks were very much flooding over against, you know, Sabonis, if he caught it, like, I'm not saying it needed to necessarily be a shot for Sabonis. Cause that probably would have been a kick out, but like, given the way they were shooting the ball in that game, like taking a timeout and then coming out and specifically running a play for a three, when you're not shooting the three, well, that happened again, then late against Cleveland where like, they don't have a ton of baseline out of bounds plays. It's basically like they run line or triangle or they have the guy like shoot through the little elevator pick going, you know, at the wide angle to the corner. And they ran that for Justin late. And it's like, you know, sometimes I think that you would be better off looking for a different shot rather than, you know, when it's late in a game, continuing to go back to a well, like, and it's not because I'm anti three point attempts. It's just that like, especially in that game against the Knicks, when you're already in the bonus, like make them pay for the fact that they've already put you in the bonus, I guess is my take. No, I agree. Um, it's yeah, no, it's hard to disagree with that. That some of the some of the ways that they've result gone to shooting have been uh, have been frustrating. But yes, I am there with you. Um, I'm trying to think if I had any other ones I want to throw out for this week. Um, I don't think I did. I think I actually I somehow hit all three of mine on the nose. I was um, I did not have any extra ones. Well, good. I think this went pretty smoothly. Hopefully people <laughs> liked the concept and understood where we were going with it. And if you didn't, I guess you can tell us how much you hated it. <laughs> well, actually, can I guess really quick? Uh, you you said that you had a Lance take that you weren't ready to uncork. Um, I kind of want to uncork it. Um, I'm pretty sure that I know what it is. Or I have a guess. I might be wrong. Um, should I just wait until after the pod? I kind of I, I do want to poke at it now, though. I'll just tell you if you're right or wrong. Go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Are you advocating for Lance to start over Karis? I no. Okay. All I right. Was... I was just, it was it was it was just a quick guess. I uh 
<laughs> it's it's you're very close. Oh, my thoughts were that like, and in defense of Karras, I do think some of the playmaking, obviously, before he got put into health and safety cro- protocols, was better in terms yeah. of just like his raw assist numbers. But I do think that there's still plays where it's like, okay, that wasn't the right play. Yeah. Like the one that I wrote a couple articles ago where Miles was wide open in the corner and Sabonis is setting a pin and screen and he dribbles to the other side of the floor and takes a pull up too. He made the shot. It's not the right play. Like he's still doing some of that stuff. And like, to be quite frank, like prior iterations of Lance have had similar problems. So yeah. I, that's why I said, I haven't quite seen a large enough sample size, but it does seem to an extent while the ball did get sticky a few times on some of the ISOs that Lance was trying was like making passes even necessarily going to lead to assists. Like in the past, it was like, I'm, I'm only going to let go of the ball if I get to shoot it or I get to make the one pass that leads to an open shot for other people. And I saw in these handful of games here that like he was making passes that were just right for the offense. In addition to just being better at making passes out of the pick and roll than the people who are available, quite frankly, but there were times, I mean, I guess I'll just say what I thought because I, I reserve the right to change my opinion once I've seen more. But given that we have heard stuff about people's names being in trade rumors, I did slightly question to myself if they did move on from Karis for whatever they were going to get in return. I was asking myself during the Jazz game, if you were playing Lance and Karis wasn't playing, what would you be losing? Because I like from a shooter standpoint, it's not like Karras is like an efficient shooter and defensively like Lance has his issues on defense sometimes, especially when he's off ball, but so does Karras. So um, I'm not trying to say, I think Lance is a better player. It's just that if you're going to be making a trade and given what the state of the team is now, I'm not sure that it's like, Oh, you know, I, I just don't know what the one major thing you're going to be losing is there. Yeah, I guess. I guess I can't entirely disagree with that. I feel uh, just based on how things have gone. Yeah, I feel fair, fairly similar to that. So, And somebody asked, they were like, somebody made a comment was like, I've been waiting for somebody to make pocket passes like this since before Victor left. And I'm like, the thing that's weird is like, I mean, we've talked about it before. Karras was an effective pick and roll player with Sabonis last year. He was awesome at it last year. Like and they played yeah. two man game down the stretch. Like I won't say like a lot of times his decision-making out of the role was he waits and spoon feeds people right at the basket. Whereas, mm-hmm. I mean, they are correct in saying that Lance is doing more and getting the ball to him at the short roll and allowing him to catch the ball in stride and then get to the basket. That is a difference. And that is what Victor was better at, especially with like the little left-hand pocket pass when he'd go on that side. But um yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like Karras was better at it toward the back end last year. He had some moments, especially I felt like he did play better in that game against Chicago up until like the last two minutes. But and again, it's not even it's not me saying that this version of Lance is a better basketball player than Karras Levert. It was just me in my head wondering when I was watching that game, like if you made that trade, you could still run pick and roll. If Lance's shot doesn't stick where it's at, it's not like Karras has shot the ball tremendously well this year. And it's not like Karras, you know, offers a ton when his shot doesn't fall in terms of defense. So um, I could just understand it if like, and it's not because the players or the coaching staff aren't going to be trying to win games. Obviously they want to win, but given where their record is right now, I just, you know, I could kind of see my way to that if that's what decision they decide to make. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, actually, yes, the one one last thing we did have to hit on that I did not even think about. Uh, shout out to Keelan Martin. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he got cut, or I guess I shouldn't be entirely surprised, but um, I, I do think that he brought some nice things to the team, especially defensively. Like he he brought looks. Like he's not he wasn't exactly a stopper or anything. He had some really good moments offensively early in the year, but um, yes. He got cut uh, mostly to, well, not mostly to, but it, uh, essentially because of Lance coming in and being able to take a spot. Um, and I believe Mark Stein reported today too, that Lance is going to be signing for the rest of the year with the Pacers. Um, at least that was the last thing that I saw, I think around 12 today. Yeah. I mean, the Keelan situation, obviously they had three non-guaranteeds, which was key for Mm-hmm. O'Shea and and Keelan and of those three and given what they need positionally Keelan seemed like you'd be the odd man out I mean there was stuff I put this there was stuff that I liked from him this year 
Um, I liked a lot what he did in the Utah game. He had like 11 or 12 points in the fourth quarter. They did similarly what I described earlier with O'Shea. They put Keelan on Rudy Gobert as primary. And then whenever Rudy screened, they were able to switch out and, and do stuff. That was an underrated aspect of, of that win when they were in Utah. Um, I thought he had good defensive moments against Jeremy Grant, but as you mentioned, it wasn't always consistent with him on that end of the floor, but I, I did like what he did and his shot. I think he shot like 29% from three. So that didn't fully come around. Um, my guess is that they probably knew they might've tried. I don't know. They might've seen like, is would there have been a way that they could have moved Jeremy in a, in a swap that might've opened a roster spot? Maybe they just couldn't find anything. So that was ultimately what direction they moved in. But um, it made sense. I mean, I knew right away, as soon as, as soon as Lance went on that run that he did in the first quarter, I was like, Oh, there's no going back now. Yeah. He, even, even if, even if he stalled out and didn't play as well in the next game, like because of what connection the fan base had, yeah, in the that fans game, would burn down game. Yeah. They like that's Lance. what I tweeted. I was like, Godspeed to the Pacers when this 10 day deals up, if they didn't do something that was going to open a spot. So it seemed pretty inevitable, but obviously because Keelan has also been in health and safety protocols, it's definitely a bummer for him. So yeah, um, he did have some nice moments. I didn't, I, to put it nicely, like I, I did feel worse for him than I felt whenever Brad Wanamaker got waived. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> well, Hey, Brad got picked up by, by the wizards, like a day after the Pacers cut. That's true. That's started true. a game. So, uh, I think Brad's doing okay, but yeah, I, I, I hope Keelan finds another roster roster situation spot, whatever you want to call it, but yes. Um, well, Caitlin, this was an absolute blast. Is there anything else you want to close out on before we get out of here? No, I mean, I'm glad that we trickled off into the negative as the podcast went on <laughs> yeah. instead, of, instead of building up because we might have lost listeners at the beginning. So Have to peak early, yeah. Well, to everyone listening, first of all, thank you for listening. We're really excited to be back and, and have this coming at you in a new format. Again, please let us know what you think. Send us any questions, comments, feedback. We'll, of course, be doing two questions to us still uh, every third Tuesday of the month. Um, that'll just bump our Monday episodes. I think right now we're looking at doing Monday and Thursday releases, if I remember correctly. Is it Monday and Thursday or Monday yeah. and Friday? Yeah, Monday and yeah, Thursday. Monday Thursday. But yeah, so expect that moving forward. Caitlin, I will talk to you later. Everyone listening, thank you for listening and have a good rest of your day.